It's lovely to be with you guys, and what a lekker worship time, hey, just, whoa, could have carried on just enjoying the Lord so much, and I trust maybe at the end we may, if, if we have a chance, uh, move, just be ready to maybe go back into his presence, um, yeah, so uh, this evening as I was uh, maybe just picking up what my sister shared, I didn't tell her what I was sharing tonight, and it's always lovely how the Lord confirms his word with signs wonders and miracles, and uh, just sharing that thing of a mirror that the Lord wants to put in front of us, His Word. And as we look at the mirror, we get to see not just His ways, but also Him, and then are transformed into His image and into His likeness. And so the, 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 the title of the preach, if I'm going to give it a title, I made one up, it's, they all made up, so. The key to live life, the key to live life. And maybe just to begin, we've got a lot to worship about because the Bible says that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible goes on to tell us that the wages of the consequence of, every, every, of our actions, of every human action, is death and separation from God. So we live in a world that God has been excluded from and there is a separation between us and Him. But also God so loved the world uh, that he wanted to save it. And we know through Jesus dying on the cross, it was God himself coming to reconcile us to him. And, and I often think we, we fall short of what God's salvation is because many of us celebrate the fact that Jesus died and because he died, we are forgiven. And that is good news. That once I'm in him, uh, I'm hidden in him, and God sees me and you as perfect as he sees his own son because the price has been paid for everything that I'm ever going to do wrong in full. As long as I remain in him, hidden in him, he is my atoning sacrifice. He's the one that makes me right with God. Um, but that's not the end of salvation. Salvation goes long past that. It, it, salvation is actually the power of God moving in your and my life. And, and God wants to do something. He wants to actually restore us into his image. He wants us to be like him. Sin distorts us. It breaks us. It bends us out of shape, and we become ugly. But God wants to make us beautiful in the sense that beautiful is holy. Beautiful is to be like him. And so the Bible tells us, and you don't have these scriptures. I'm gonna, I don't know if you can find them quickly. If you can, tell me yes. If you can't, tell me no, and I'll just read them. Romans 8.29. Can you find that quickly for me? It's not in my notes. Uh, yes or no? Yes. Romans 8.29. Sorry, I just threw these in in worship. It's just something the Lord led me down. And it says this. They're obviously finding it. This is my bad, not theirs. For those... God foreknew. In other words, those that God knew were going to come into his son. Those who he knew were going to accept the salvation that he would give. He also predestined, listen to this, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers. That we, we would be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. When a man is, or a woman is truly dead to self and, and, and buried in him, when you're with them, it's like you're with Jesus. Because we should be able to say it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ Jesus that now lives his life 
in and through me. And so Christian maturity is really learning how to surrender and allow Jesus to be Jesus in and through you. And the more we mature, the more people see him in us. And the less mature we are, the more they see us and not him. And so the church is full of people who are in that journey. And that's why you're going to find hypocrites at church. You're going to find people that hurt you at church. Because we're all on that journey. And some are babies and they make baby mistakes. And others are maybe more mature. And they'll still make some mistakes. But they've been covered by what God has done. And they are becoming conformed. They're being conformed into the image of Jesus. And so the, the Christian life is really this. Becoming more like him. Every single day. And I want to talk about how we do that just now. How does God do that in us? Another scripture quickly. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Again, not in my notes. 2 Corinthians 3 18. So again, if they take a few moments, it's because they've got to hunt it down. And we, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. How many of you found when you worship tonight? There's a sense that the veil was gone and you were able to see and sense something of the glory. How many of you felt different now to what you did before worship? And that's what it's talking about. As we see him with unveiled faces, we begin to reflect his glory and we are being transformed. We are being changed into God's likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the, the Christian life is this. I am being conformed. I'm being transformed. I'm being changed. The more I spend time with Him, the more I see Him, the more I learn about Him, the more the Spirit takes those things and does something in me and changes me. So the more I walk with Him, the longer I walk with Him, the more I become like Him. And in fact, I would go so far as to say, actually, He starts to live His life in and through me, because the Bible says that he would come and take a residence in the human heart, that I'd become a temple of the living God, which is radical, actually. Christianity is not a self-help religion. You can't help yourself. It's impossible. The Jews got the law. God said, that's how I, that's how I look. Good luck, because they were filled with pride, thought they could do it on their own. And after thousands and, like literally over 1,500 years, they failed and failed and failed and are still failing today because they refused to accept the one who came to fulfill the law and to ultimately bring about God's full redemption, salvation, through the cross and through the giving of the Spirit. So God knows that we're helpless, you see. He knows if he tells us what we should look like, it's impossible. It's like... You know, I could read the Ten Commandments and you're just going to feel guilty if you're actually honest. <laughs> because the Ten Commandments show you what you should do, what you should be like, but it does nothing to help you become it. In some ways, the whole point of why God gave the law was to show you what you should look like and to show you that you can't get there by yourself. Christianity is not a moralist religion. It is a transformational change. It is a born-again life change where God himself comes and helps me in my weakness and changes me from inside out and in a sense lifts me up out of my death and begins to live his life out through me. And we keep getting stuck in that. We forget that the key to the Christian life is God himself, Christ himself, Jesus himself. 
living with him, remaining in him, walking with him, hearing his voice, listening to spirit, praying in tongues all the time, speaking in your spirit, being connected to him. Because the more I see him, the more I'm going to change to be like him. And the less I see him and the less time I spend with him, the more I'm going to revert back to my old self. How many of you have found that? After a conference week, you walk away, you feel like, oh. You've had a week of him. You've just been seeing him for a week, 412, and you're just like, you finish that week, you're like, oh. you feel like you're almost flying. It's like, God, you're amazing, I can see you. And three months later, you're like, oh. Unless you learn how to remain in him by yourself, which is actually what you, what you should learn to do. Um, Christianity is something that God does within the individual. We can help each other to some degree, but ultimately, God is the one. God is the source of life, and only He can help you. All right. So God wants to come and save us. So He gives us, and again, I don't want to go run too deep on this because it's not the, where the, the thrust of the preacher is going. So God wants to save us. So He dies on the cross, pays for us in full, and then sends the Spirit and says, now that you're holy... And the amazing thing is this, you know, 20-something years ago, yeah, what was it, 30, 30 years ago, 32 years ago, <laughs> 32 years ago, almost, I walked into a church, drug addict, sexually immoral, totally living selfishly, and in a moment of faith, my sins were paid for in full. In a moment of faith, God looked at me, and he didn't see Andrew, the sinner, the drug addict, the, the guy that lived for pleasure. He comes, and he takes his own son's perfection, and he covers me in it. And Jesus, who died on the cross, dies for everything I've ever done wrong, so that when the Father looks at me, he sees perfection. And I was made holy in a moment, in a legal sense. I was made holy the Bible says when, the law, when there's no law, there's no sin. In a sense, for me, it was like the law was removed from me because God had paid for every consequence that I had, that I had forfeited, that I, that I deserved consequence on. But then, because I was holy, God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to do something in you. You're going to be born again, born of the Spirit of God. And God says, I myself am going to come and I'm going to come into you. And I'm going to make my home in you. And I'm going to live in you. And then he says, the prophet Jeremiah says the same thing in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 11. Jeremiah 31, Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. Then God says, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to write that external law that I gave my Jewish people. I'm going to write that into your own flesh, into your heart. Which means I'm standing there, I'm saying, Jesus Please come into my life, forgive me because I'm a sinner. And in that moment, he's washing me clean and he's coming by his spirit and he starts to write his own nature into my nature. He begins to imprint it into me like he wrote on a stone up on the mountain with Moses. Now he writes with his, his finger on my heart and he begins to write in, this is what I'm like. And this is what you call to be like. This is me restoring you into my image, into my likeness. So when you get born again, very quickly, things that you thought you were fine with are suddenly not fine. Did you notice that? I remember swearing. I remember doing things that I used to do all the time. And no one told me, you know, Andrew, now that you're a Christian, you should stop swearing. I just 
it was like when I did it, it, was, it felt so dirty, it felt so ugly. I didn't, I've heard it said it's a bit like, um, you know, if you're working in your car and the oil pops and there's oil everywhere and dirt everywhere and your dirty child runs in the dirt of their own, they've been playing in the garden and they grab you, you're both dirty. It's just like, yeah, come here. But if you're about to go out to a wedding and you're wearing a white tuxedo, a white wedding dress, and your child runs in from the garden full of mud, what do you do when they run to you like this? No! And that's exactly what happens. You go from, hey, I'm just really comfortable with sin, I'm really comfortable with dirt, I'm really comfortable with this dude. No! Because you know God's done something in you. And that's what it is to be saved. That's what it is to be born again. And then that journey starts. And as long as you continue with Christ in that journey, you remain hidden in Him, and your sins are paid for in full. And so the gospel and the writers of the New Testament are trying to encourage Christians in various churches to try and navigate their way through this. And one of the challenges is this. While God has done this miraculous thing, and I've just explained what the new birth is, what it is to become a Christian, the challenge is from that moment, my center has changed. I'm leaning towards God now. I want to please God. Where before, I wanted to please me. That's another sign that you saved. You want to please God. We used to want to please you. But the thing is this. I'm not yet fully saved. I'm not yet fully healed. When I say that, I'm talking in the sense that there's the legal side paid in full, and there's the real side. Still old Andrew, who's got habits and patterns and ways of thinking that are nothing like God. And the process of holiness is a process of sanctification, is what theologians call it. It literally means you're being sanctified. You're being made more and more and more and more holy as you remain in Jesus. Okay, so it's a process. And so you'll find you're different now to what you were five years ago. And how many you find your sins that you're dealing with are different now to what you were five years ago? Because God starts with the wide, easy ones, and then he goes deeper and deeper and deeper until eventually there's, ideally, there's only him and there's nothing of your own sinful nature left. But there is this fight that happens. I'm still tempted. I still have a part of me that loves me that loves comfort, that loves convenience, that loves the good things in life. And there's another part of me now that God's put into me, the spirit that wants to please God and wants to form God in me. And so inside of every Christian, in a sense, we've got two natures. We've got the old nature, which is not yet fully dead. It got a, it got a smack, but it didn't die. And the new nature... He's trying to form you into his image. And, he's like, and, and that new nature is the spirit of God coming and writing into your heart who God is and how he wants you to live. Is this making sense? And so we've got this, this challenge and this fight. And so I want to dig into that fight and look at how we make sure that we are continuing in Jesus, that we are being sanctified, that we are growing in our faith and not getting stuck or even slipping away, backsliding, because we've neglected the basic things that God gives us. And that's really why we're going to read chunks of two letters, um, Romans and Galatians, the two that many would argue preach the gospel really well. And so let's quickly jump into Romans 8, verse 12 to 14. And here, Paul, writing to the Romans, is trying to help them understand these two natures, these two parts inside of them. And we'll look in Galatians just now where he carries on. So therefore, brothers... 
talking to Christians, we've got this, he's given this whole thing about what Jesus has done, basically what I've just said about the cross and about salvation. Therefore, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. And so here's the thing. In saying this, he's letting us know you can still live according to your sinful nature. You can still live according to your old nature. You can still wake that person up. They're dead, but they're not fully dead. And if you feed it and you don't make sure that you keep killing it, that old person inside of you will come to life, that old you. So you'll see people that start really well and they're growing and you're thinking, wow, it's amazing. And then something happens, they get offended or something happens and they, they start slipping backwards and you meet them three years later and it's like they never knew Christ. So we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live, he's talking to brothers, according to the sinful nature, you will die. Think, whoa, it's a, just threw a big log on that fire. If you live according to that old nature, you're going to die. Now, it's not going to be an instant death because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm, in a sense, even if I, I'm not perfect now, but if I drop dead, God will see me as perfect because I'm still in Him. But the problem is if I live according to my sinful nature, my old nature, I, I can't live in my sinful nature and hold on to Him. And so eventually what happens is I begin to drift from him because I'm loving something else more than him. And the fire in me goes colder and colder and colder until eventually, well, I, I, I didn't want to teach this, but the Bible says, it's with your heart you believe. Why are you saved? Because of faith. And it's with your heart that you believe. So as long as I've got faith in my heart, God's worked that into my heart by his spirit, I'm, I'm born again, I'm saved. But... But if I keep giving in to the sinful nature, we'll see just now, the danger is I start to damage my heart. The Bible says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You know, this is a place that life comes from. And so guard what God's doing in your heart. Be careful to treasure it and nurture it. Because if you don't treasure and nurture it, you will eventually die. The organ of faith dies. The letter reading into you gets covered over with sand and junk. And so you will die. You will eventually be separated from him. You'll fall away from him. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit, so now you've got this thing happening, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So he's talking to brothers, and he says, you've got these two fights going on. And if you keep feeding the one, the, the wrong one, eventually it's going to kill you. Eventually you'll lose faith. And when you lose faith, you lose Christ. As long as you've got faith, you're still all right. But I'm talking saving faith. Not the kinds, demons believe too, but they're not going to be saved. So those are the, faith shows itself, it reveals itself. All right, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And so we want to be those who are led by the Spirit, not by our flesh. Now, every single day, sometimes in moments through the day, there, are, there is this thing going on inside of you. Will I draw from the root of the Spirit of God and live? Or will I draw from my own carnal fleshly nature, the old me? And eventually, if I keep feeding that thing, eventually it's going to lead to my demise. And so God wants you to live. He proved that. He came to a cross and died. 
He wants you to live. He, and, and He sent you the Spirit. He hasn't left you and me as orphans. He's given us a Spirit to help us in our weakness, cover us, to bring us back to God over and over again when we fail. If anyone says he's without sin, John would say, the truth is not within him. He would go on to tell us how we can come and approach the throne freely and find grace in a time of need. So that as a young Christian, I don't want to give you permission to sin, but you're probably going to sin a lot. You're a baby, man. You're learning how to walk. Have you ever watched that go down? He gets up and remember, you've got to get that camera quick because he, he gets up and he's like, he's just taking his first steps of holiness. And, like, and then it's, bah! It's learning, it's growing, and the grace of God covers us in our weakness. Covers us. It's as though it's, God is a good father. But we must keep growing. We must keep allowing him to shape and mold us. And so God will come and he'll send the Spirit. And um, in John 16, 13, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, it's on the board, it will go up on the board now, he will guide you into all truth. He will not only come inside of you and write God into your heart, but he'll also begin to guide you into becoming like God. And so the key to the Christian life is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says don't quench him, don't grieve him. He's with you. He'll be with you to the very end of the age. The key to the Christian life is him. It's as though when Jesus was on the earth in, in, a, in the form of a man, God, in the form of a man in Jesus, he was able to be there for the disciples, 12 men. And he, you know, they would wake up, he was there, he would teach them, they would face life, and he would teach them how to face life. What does this mean? Why are they saying that? What's this mean? And he taught them. Now, he's with the Father. But he said, it's better that I go. Because if I go, I'll send the Spirit, and He'll come to each one of you. He's not bound by a body like I am. And He will lead you. He will guide you. He will form God in you. In a sense, you've got your own personal rabbi, the one who will lead you and guide you into truth. So the key then to these things, there's two sources there's the me source, the old me, the selfish me, the Andrew, and there's this spirit that now God has given me, and he lives in me, and he'll be with me, and I must walk with him, I must be led by him, I must listen to him, I must remain intimate with him. When he convicts me, I must be quick. Have you ever, we've got this cat that's just very, very scared. We got it from Joburg, Gauteng, and they flew it down, and it was very small, and we got it out of that box, out of that airplane. That little thing was traumatized. I don't think I'll ever do that again to, to a little cat. It was so traumatized by the airplane and the day in this big box. It was this big box. And I remember opening the box, and it sat in a little corner looking at us, terrified. But something formed into that cat. And it, it, it literally, if I walk with slip-slops in the house, the noise, just, you just see this blitz. Wherever it was, gone. Gone for the rest of the day. It, it, it's terrified of any noise. If you come to my house, you won't even know we have a cat. Because when, when you knock on the door, even if she's upstairs, she'll run so fast past that front door, you won't even see her. And she'll be gone. Because she was traumatized by what she did. Why was I telling you about my cat now? It's a mystery. Why was I telling you about the cat? Why was that what MC helped me? What was I going to say? Can you I've got a total blank. I told, 
Sometimes you tell a story too well and you forget the point of the story. God, huh? Oh, this is what it is. Thank you. Thank you, Jacques. Thank you, Jacques. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit like a dove. You walk out in your garden and you have some birds, and if you move slowly and carefully, they won't mind you. But do that. When we walk with the Holy Spirit, He's a picture of a dove. You can quench Him. You can put His fire out. You can grieve Him. I say, as you live the Christian life, you're living with a partner who's in you. And your point is, you've got to be very aware of Him because like that little cat, He bolts very quickly. He hates sin. He hates it when we do things that are not like God. And so what you do is you often find as you're, walk, you're walking with him, when Jesus says he'll never leave you, he doesn't mean that he'll never leave you. It means that he'll be with us always to the end of the age. He'll always be there to try and draw us back. But I can tell you right now, there are times when as a believer, you can quench the spirit. You can put him out. Quenching him means he's there, fire, and then you put the fire out. Fire's not there anymore. And so you've got to be careful how you walk this Christian walk. And again, the key to this is intimacy. And the cool thing is this. He's the God that says, I leave the 99 to find the straying sheep. So he doesn't want to leave you. He's not going, if you do it one more time. He's not doing that. He wants to save you. But be aware of the fact that he is who he is. And live accordingly as best as you can. Listen to him. Be led by him. And so the Bible tells us in Galatians 5 verse 24, and now we're going to dig into the letter of Galatians, because Paul again is going to pick up what it is to live by the Spirit and ought to live according to the flesh. And he does this beautiful exposition of the two natures, and we're going to dig in together and hopefully use it like a mirror and go, okay, am I in this one or am I in this one? And if I'm in, if I'm in the flesh, then today... The Spirit of God is here for you. The throne of grace is wide open, and we can approach it freely and find the grace we need in our time of need, because God wants us to be saved. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Have crucified the sinful nature. Nikki and I were sharing a flat, and I'm going to use you in a different story. When we got saved, I got saved and came, up, came home and led him to the Lord the night I gave my life to Jesus. He's an elder in the church here now. And so we were born again within hours of each other. And it was amazing to suddenly have this brother that was now in the kingdom with me. But our journeys walked together for a while, and then we began to drift. And Nikki, years later, came back. Because what happened with Nick's, and correct me if I'm wrong, is he was hungry like I was for God, but he went to a church service with me to be baptized in water. And the week they were going to baptize us in water, the church wanted us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which I wanted. I didn't know what it meant, but I wanted it. And so they prayed for us. And they kept trying to force Nikki to speak in tongues, I think it was. Was it? And then tried to push him that he would fall over when they prayed for us. And being surfers, we're non-conformists. We don't go with the flow easily. <laughs> and so the harder they're pushing, the more he's... But now he's struggling because why are these Christians trying to push me over? 
Now, I have fallen. There is the real thing. But don't push. God's either doing it or he's not. And so I remember seeing his face, and I remember seeing turmoil on his face. No one tried to push me. But he was in turmoil, and I remember walking, him walking out and starting this battle inside of him with, what's going on? And you know, we were both born again, but there were things, there was still the old nature that was trying to exert its life over us, and we had to crucify that old nature. We used to love going out to nightclubs. There were girls there. And so it wasn't long that Nikki said, hey, I think it was Club Bananas or one of those clubs. Let's go to a club tonight. And what's happening is now we've got our sinful nature and our sinful desires. He's already a little bit offended, already a bit freaked out by church, Christians. And now you've got to, and it might not have been exactly in this order, but this is normally how these things work. So we get drawn. Let's go. I went with him the one night. We went to the nightclub, and it's not long. Hey, let's have a beer. Now, beer in itself isn't sin, but for us at that time it was. We couldn't go back and play in those games anymore. We couldn't go back. That place was, that thing had such a stronghold on us. We were playing with the devil. I couldn't even listen to secular music for a number of years. I'm not putting that on you because I do listen to it now. But if I listened to secular music, I felt myself backsliding. I was in a, once at a CNA, in, which is an old shop. I don't think they have them anymore. <laughs> Surfing, and there were magazines, and there was a surfing mag, and I, we couldn't buy surfing mags with two point. I went to go and read a surfing mag, and as I'm reading the surfing mag, I haven't done a drug in about a year. I start to see, feel myself getting stoned. And I'm a Christian, and I'm thinking, why am I feeling this? What, why am I feeling like I'm getting stoned? And because I was contacting the magazine, my conscious wasn't concentrating on what was going on. So now I'm like, what's going on? Something's happening to me. And Bob Marley was playing Easy Skanking in the background. And Bob Marley was one of the guys we listened to when we used to get stoned. I didn't even hear him in my conscious mind, but something inside of me started pulling me down a hole. And I remember putting the mag and running out of the shop. I couldn't listen to him because just the music was so powerful. It drew me like a magnet back to my old nature. And the difference between us was I had the beer in my hand at Club Bananas. And I took one or two swigs and I felt the Spirit say this to me. What are you doing? And I left. And he didn't. And he started a long journey of backsliding. And it was only, what, four, five years later, that you, five years later, that he came back to the Lord. I grew for those five years. He was lost. So to the flesh, so to the spirit. And this is, don't think you're cleverer than this one. This is, this is how it is. You don't escape this. This is literally how it works. You sow to the flesh, you're going to die. Thank God God was faithful and brought him back. And he prayed, and it was so beautiful when he came back and recommitted his life to the Lord and started growing again. All right. This is making sense. So let me jump down. I'm going to skip something out because I'm taking too long. But let me say this, whatever fountain you drink from, spirit or flesh, will eventually become habit. And whatever habit you form will eventually save you or kill you. The Bible speaks about in Hebrews about those who have trained themselves. It's a bit out of context, but it, the principle is good. Who have trained themselves towards good. 
The more I've walked with him, the more my soul is trained towards good. My default more and more becomes his default. It's easier and easier for me, like an exercise that I do, because he's written it into me, and now I'm so used to doing it that way, that's my default, versus I'm playing with two. I don't crucify the flesh. And so the flesh is pulling, and the spirit's pulling, and the flesh is pulling. Have you ever been there in your Christian walk? Flesh is spirit, flesh is spirit, flesh is spirit. It's a horrible place. I used to feel like I, I remember when I went through one of, I've had tussles, and I remember feeling like I, like I needed to get saved all over again. Everything, like, I oh, need Jesus. Because I knew I'd grieved him. I knew I'd quenched the spirit. So then Paul begins to dive into this church. And he says, let's jump down a few scriptures. In Galatians 5, verse 15. And now he's, he's into a church, and it's got some real problems. I mentioned earlier about you can be in a church, and there's mature, and there's immature. There's those, there are those sitting among you that are living according to the flesh. And there are those sitting among you who are living according to the Spirit. And there are those sitting among you that are doing a little bit of both. We're not yet perfect. We're moving, hopefully, in, in that direction. And so Paul says to this bunch of Christians, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, now do you think biting and devouring one another is the, the fruit of the Spirit? No. But it happens in community because we get to rub shoulders with each other and we annoy each other. But if you keep, and so your flesh rises up and you start to bite and devour one another. It's like kids in the park. You've ever seen one kid bites the one and then the other one bites, and then it's just like, and even if you're 75 years old as an immature Christian, you act just like that. Watch out or you'll be destroyed each other. And that tells me when someone sins around me, especially if it's sin towards me, I've got to be extra, extra careful. Because the natural response is, you hurt me, I hurt you back. And so the human, the human response is, you hurt me, I hurt you back. The Christ response is, you hurt me, and I offer my cheek, my other cheek to you. And I love you. And I say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Not with a, Father, forgive them, pride, because that's just as sinful. That's, that's, just, that's just carnality wrapped up with a robe of outward spirituality. You've actually genuinely want to want the best for them. Because we we're good at kind of masquerading, eh? Oh, Father, forgive them. They're so immature. <laughs> I feel so good now because I'm mature. And I, no, that's self-love. You've got to genuinely want the best for them, more than you want for yourself. Okay. So be careful because, because these are the tussles that happen. And the Bible actually says this, as iron sharpens iron, so God will use man to sharpen man, which means God's going to grow you through sparks. Have you ever seen iron sharpening iron? You take a blade, blunt blade, and you've got a grindstone, and you move the blade to the grindstone, and it goes, and sparks are flying off, pieces of metal are flying off, and it's like, and the metal starts getting hot and uncomfortable, and God says, guess how I'm going to grow you up in the church? Well, look around you, they're the grindstone. Look at your husband, look at your wife, look at your kids, look at your parents, they're the grindstone. I'm going to use them to reveal what nature you're living from. 
They will reveal what fountain you're drinking from. And so when you get offended in church and you leave, guess what you sowed towards? The flesh. Because <laughs> love holds no record of wrongs. So I want to prophesy over you. You're going to hurt, hurt, hurt one another. But if you start devouring one another, you're going to lose everything. When we're in heaven, there'll be no more of these. It's going to be a beautiful day, but we're not there yet. And so God will actually use these things to reveal what fountain we're drinking from. And if you're drinking of the Spirit, and you're in the Spirit, when something happens, you don't react. But if you're in the flesh and something happens, how dare they? Who do they think they are? This church has got no love. Whatever it is, we find some little thing to protect ourselves. And so we're going to draw from the Spirit's source. And so again, Galatians 5, 16. So I say live by the Spirit. We'll read down to verse 18. So I say live by the Spirit. Let's put up. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I love that word gratify. <laughs> gratify. It's kind of like, come on do it, and you must not gratify it. <laughs> For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict. They're at war with one another, so that you do not do what you want. And you know what? Whatever way it goes, you actually don't do what you want, because there's a party that wants to please God. And there's another party that wants to please you. And so you have to kill that part to please God. But there's a part of you, we, we don't do what we want. We do what God wants. We give in to the Holy Spirit. All right. And so let's jump down. So let's dig into what it looks like when we're digging into the flesh and when we dig into the Spirit. And so in verse 19 to 21 of Galatians 5, Paul begins to tell us what it looks like when we give in to the flesh. And he's going to give us a list of sins. It's not a complete list. He's just giving us kind of things that it feels like. Okay, the list is far more than this. But there's some big ones. Could you put up for me Galatians 5, 19? I jumped a few scriptures for the AV guys. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. I'll go through them and then we'll break them down. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions or fa and factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's break those down, and then if I've got time, hopefully, to move quick, we'll jump to what it looks like when you're in the spirit, and then we'll pray for us. Once you've looked at so this is the mirror. Sexual immorality, the word is pornea, where you get the concept of pornography, lust, sleeping with someone who you're not married to. It's when you give in to your sinful nature. How many of you find lust a very strong pull, be honest? It's a strong pull. It, it pulls you hard, doesn't it? It's one of the strongest pulls we have. I think that's maybe what comes up first. Sexual immorality. When you 
when you're outside of wedlock, marriage, and you do something you shouldn't with another person sexually. Now, and again, I would say this, pornography is one of the, the, the scourges of our time. Do you know that every time you look at porn, you, you, you're shaping your soul. Every time you look at porn, you're sowing to the sinful nature. And that thing is so strong, you do not wanna go near that thing. And so run. I remember as a young Christian, I remember this clearly, I was driving down the road, I had an old combi, and Joey, who's an elder now in the morning congregation, was with me. We were looking for surf, hot summer day in Port Elizabeth, and you're driving on the beachfront, and there were these beautiful girls in very small bikinis showing off everything. And I never forget, we knew Christians, and we're driving down the road, and literally, I remember, I started laughing, because our heads were doing this. There was a beautiful girl that would look like this. Then there was a girl that would look like this. And we were, we were going down the road like this, and I, I noticed he was doing what I was doing, and he started laughing, because I knew if I just began to look at her in a bikini, it would, it would unlock something in me. And I know girls, that might sound weird, but that's how it is. For guys, they, he looks at you in a bikini. My wife knows. She's got, she doesn't need a bikini. She can just wear a tight shirt when I come home. And she's going to know. She's going to know. And you know the scary thing is, girls, some of you wear those tight shirts because you love the attention. You know, when you wear that tight shirt, you walk down the road, every guy's gawking. You're just sowing to your own sinful nature, and you're causing others to sow to theirs. You're bringing hell wherever you go. Be very careful, girls. And to the boys who are looking at porn, you remember this. That woman is made by God. He's her father. And Jesus said, if you look at her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. It's like you're raping her because actually you're taking something from her that's not yours. You run. You run. Because if you sow to the sinful nature, you will eventually die. You fight that fight. You beat that battle. You take that giant. Amen? Impurity. And this is an interesting word. What does it mean, impurity? And, and maybe the best way to explain it is when we do things that maybe even are right, but they've got a, something in it that corrupts it. So, and maybe a scripture to illustrate in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 3, Paul writes about even preaching the gospel. And he says we can do this with impure motives. For the appeal we make, Paul's preaching to these guys and he's appealing to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, what I'm asking for does not spring from error or impure motives nor are we trying to trick you. In other words, the deeper motive of the heart makes something that's even looking clean, impure. So let me break that down in another scripture quickly. In Philippians 1, 15 and 17. Listen to this. This is shocking. And I wonder, if this was true then, it's true today. It is true that some preach Christ. Some lead churches some have big international ministries out of envy and rivalry. But others do it out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here in jail for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. And so you've got this thing of people preaching Christ, planting churches, and the root is selfish ambition. Because what happens is I get saved and I want to be the main kunain. I want to be the main guy. 
And then I get saved, and I want to be the main guy. I want to be loved. I want to be respected. And so what do I need to do to be respected within the community of faith? So now I'm preaching the gospel, but the heart of preaching the gospel is actually not to glorify Christ. Even though I say it is, the deeper root of what I'm doing is flesh. I'm doing this because I want to be accepted. I want to be loved. I want to be your pastor. Your sermon was so amazing. And it's a root of self, not a root of love, not a root for Christ. Uh, you know, I was thinking, as a younger man, I was with the Lord and just grappling with that scripture a, while, a, few, a few years ago and just thinking, Lord, have there been times that I've served you out of selfish ambition? Do you know, I actually realized there were. I mean, you're never fully doing it sinful because you would know then. We hide from ourselves. I, I remember this. I got saved and drugs, and, and then God said he called me to ministry, and that was what? God wants me to serve in ministry. And then I wanted to ministry. I wanted it so bad. I used to sit in, in, in guys in sermons, and I mean, I wasn't leading anything, but I would watch guys preach, and I'd think one day God's called me to do that. And then I began to look, how do I get there? That's what I, deep down inside, that's what I want. And then I thought, oh, they want me to serve. If I serve and I show that I'm serving and caring for people, then I'll get there. And so I began to serve and make tea and do things in church because I was actually, the root was partly to serve Christ, but the root was also partly me. And so I'm doing it, and I'm like, hey, I love you, brood, so good, welcome, here's your tea and coffee, and it looks like I'm this amazing guy, but deep down inside, there's a part of me that is still Andrew, selfish. One day, I want to be in ministry, and I thank God that God kept taking ministry away from me over and over and over again, and I got so frustrated. Why? Because God saw me. I said, if I give you ministry like that, you'll get destroyed. And for years, he forced me to make tea. Until eventually I got to the place finally where I said, I remember this. If I make tea for the rest of my life, that's amazing. I get to serve the people of God. And then suddenly he opened doors for ministry. But the Lord had to kill that part of me. And I wonder how many of you, you know how you know you're doing it for the wrong motive? If you do it for a year or two and you haven't got what you want, you throw your toys out the cot. I'm out. I'm, I'm tired. I had it. Man, if, you, if God gives you the privilege of just praying for somebody else, jeez. But no, there's a desire for more. Now, I want to be faithful to the Lord, don't get me wrong, but I've got to be very careful that that desire doesn't kick over into a selfish ambition. Does it make sense? All right. It's hot in here, hey? was it just me? Hot flush. I'm menopause. I'm one flesh with my wife. It's happening to me too. Debauchery. And that's the next word, debauchery. Unrestrained living. Going where my heart goes. I want to follow my heart. It's just giving in to the desires that you have. Um, and so you end up down dress, dressing certain ways. Fun, alcohol, sex, these are all things that you can lead a debauched life. You're leading a life of carnality, a life that just whatever feels good to you. 
idolatry. This is a big one. Loving anything more than God. It's revealed by what we said, our diary to. What's your week look like? What are the things that you prioritize? That's the thing you worship, actually. What's the most important thing? If it's the most important thing, that's what you're serving. Is your job the most important thing? No. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. Are your kids the most important thing? No. Is your spouse the most important thing? No. They're all important, but they're not the most important. The most important thing is the king and the kingdom of God. And that I live to make disciples of nations. I'm not going to neglect my wife. I'm not going to neglect my children, my child. But the most important thing is the king and the kingdom, not just because I'm full time. For all of us, Jesus said to you, go and make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son. We live for him. That's your life priority. Any other life priority is revealing idolatry. Witchcraft, this is the next one, magic. And maybe I'll touch on a few things here. You know, when I was born again in 1990, magic was a lot spoken about in the church. It's not spoken about much anymore. And so yoga and a lot of these weird Eastern things have now just become very part of the culture of the church because they become part of the culture around us. But a lot of those things have roots in, in Eastern mysticism, roots in God being a force, an energy rather than a person. And often they tap into even demonology. They tap into demonic undertones that actually, without you realizing it, actually open you up for the demonic. So Ouija boards, witchcraft. There was a, you see there was a big satanic conference in, a, in America and I was sold out. Yoga. Some martial arts, acupuncture, reflexology, these are all tapping into mystical forces. All of these things open the door for the demonic in your life. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, and it's just interesting, no wait, not this one, sorry, Isaiah 2 verse 6, sorry, my bad. Isaiah 2 verse 6, it's interesting, it comes from the east. You have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, they are full of superstitions from the east, they practice divination like the Philistines and clasp hands with pagans. God's speaking about why are you, generally if it's from the east and it's not scientific, you run from it. In other words, if it can't be explained with science, even though, what's that other thing where you put one drop in a thing and it, it's but homeopathy, homeopathy. You, you get these little things where they, oh, it's a long, I'm not going to explain the whole principle, but it's also, it's witchcraft. Run from it. Run from it. It's using mystical powers to manipulate or control. Hatred is the next one. An intense feeling. Is there anyone that you feel like that about? Think of that guy. It's hatred. Or that text that pulls in front of you. You see, sane people. I remember once he was driving down the road, and there's a funny story. And this taxi, she'd had a day with taxis. You know, one of those days where you're stuck in gridlocks and taxis are just driving on pavements wherever. And so this taxi pulls in front of her, and, she, and I wasn't with her, but she told me when she came home. And she's like, dirt, dirt, dirt. And the guy goes, Phew. and she goes, sorry. <laughs> came home and repented. But, but what is that feeling that comes inside of you? I hate 
it's, it's from the flesh. You sow to that thing, you're going to die. Jesus said, so I say, love your enemies. Yeesh. In other words, actually, as a Christian, I don't have any enemies. If you've got enemies, I, even if people are out to kill you, I mean, that's as bad as an enemy can get. Even then, you are to love them. There's stories of men who have been tortured in jail over the ages in places like Russia. And very often, the jailers eventually got saved because as, as, as much pain and abuse as they heaped on these individuals, the responses of the Christians in jail was nothing but love and care. I heard an amazing story of, I think it was Polycarp who was the disciple of John, the Apostle John. I love, I love some of these early church fathers. This was a guy that sat at John the Apostle's feet and used to listen to him talking about Jesus and personally discipled by John. When John died, he, was, he became a very prominent leader in the church. But Christianity became illegal, so the Christians hid him. And so the story goes, true story, this is part of history, they put a bounty out. Rome puts a bounty out on Polycarp's head. If anyone brings this guy to us, you're going to make a fortune. And so a bounty hunter works out how to get a hold of him. So he, he goes and he finds the Christians who are all meeting underground, and he joins them, and he starts singing, hallelujah, praise Jesus. And, but he's just bluffing. And eventually, through being a part of the community, he works out and finds out where Polycarp is kept. And so he goes to the nearest Roman garrison and gets a whole lot of soldiers. I know where he is. Come. And Polycarp is hidden in a home somewhere. And they, they, they come and they knock on the door and Polycarp opens the door and there stands this young man that Polycarp has actually personally been discipling at this point. And the Romans. And he knows what's happened. And he looks at the people that he knows are going to kill him and he says this. You, did you come from that fort? That's a long way. You guys must be exhausted. Come inside, please, before you take me. Can I please give you something to drink and feed you? He knows they're going to kill him. They come inside and he feeds them. And he, and he feeds his betrayer. He says nothing. Just feeds the one who betrayed him. Gives him water to drink and loves him. Eventually they take Polycarp out and they're going to actually take him now. On the, and they're going to kill him, execute him, behead him. And he's so loving towards those that are going to kill him that eventually the man that sold him, this non-Christian bounty hunter, starts to feel guilty and starts saying, please don't kill him. Please don't kill him. And they say, we have to kill him. It's a Roman law. Caesar's decreed. And then he says, you can't. Because now he's feeling really guilty. And at one point the man says this, if you're going to kill Polycarp of the Christians, kill me too, for I too am now a Christian. Because Polycarp loved him. And they knelt down next to each other and both lost their lives, the betrayer and the betrayed. Because Polycarp had no enemies. He was a man who was rooted in the spirit. Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you sowing to the spirit? Discord. I'm out of time. Discord. <laughs> Strife, arguing, divisions, quarreling. It's when there's discord, it's just when the eh. people start arguing, having their opinions. You need, it's discord. 
In 1 Corinthians 1.11, my brothers, some from Chloe's household, Paul says, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. It's like, what are you thinking? Well, how are you fighting among yourselves? Don't you know that quarrels and discord come from the flesh? And let me say this, husband and wife, discord, discord, discord. Children and parents, discord. Where there's that tension and that, yeah. Jealousy, the word is zealous in the Greek. It's an interesting word. It means actually a deeply devoted zeal, zeal for yourself, <laughs> an extreme concern for yourself. Um, King James Version uses the word emulation to try and illustrate what this word is. The NIV says jealousy. Emulations, it means this, ambition or desire to excel over others. Ambition or desire to excel over others. Do you have to win? And, and maybe break it down. If you don't win, how's your response? Do you have to dominate? Uh, you, you see these sometimes grown men playing with three-year-old children, chess, and just killing them. <laughs> because he has to win. Three-year-old's getting devastated. You know, it's like, got... Dad's like, I beat you again. Three-year-old's like, yeah. <laughs> Fits of rage, anger that just gets seen red. That's selfish ambition. That's a, sorry, carnality. Selfish ambition, rivalry, dissensions. Dissensions is this, this. Dissensions basically discord that leads to dissension, to stand apart, to cause division, to cause dissent. How many of you know that in the church people will cause division? How do they do that? Did you hear what Margot did to me the other day? And they start telling a little rumor about her that makes you go, ooh, maybe Margo's not such a nice person. I thought she was. It's causing dissensions. Causing dissensions. And people do it. It's flesh. And if you give in to that, then the dissension, as the next word, leads to factions. Factions means us and them in the church. We're the guys that are right. They're the guys that are wrong. When you start to get factions forming, you know, the flesh is prevalent. Be careful of being the, the pointed leader of the group of those that are disgruntled in the church, speaking to the elders. We the people. Factions. Be very careful. <laughs> Envy. I want what he's got. Drunkenness. Orgies, wild parties. And quickly, I'll do this quick. The spirit versus spirit. Uh, can I do this? I'll do this in five minutes. You're right? It'd be a miracle, but let's go for it. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. Let's go 5:22 to 26. And now he jumps to the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to have to read this quickly. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And so since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If you keep in step with the Spirit, that's what your life looks like. That's the fruit of keeping in step with the Spirit. And the first one is love. The, the word in, in it is agape, it has a root of charity. It's giving what others don't deserve. So if you're in the Spirit, you will be giving others what they don't deserve in terms of love and affection. Um, 
you should be coming to church to give love or to get love? To give. And if you never get love back, is that all right? Yes. Because love is ch- it's giving when you don't get anything back. It's, it's a charity. It's like I give to beggars. I don't expect to, uh, to go and do something back to me. It's charity. The word here, charis, is where you get the word. The root is charity. It's, it's literally giving people, now you're going to get nothing back. When you do that, now you're starting to be like God. Joy. It's an inner thing. It doesn't need circumstances. Um, do you know the word enthusiastic comes from the Greek entheos, God-filled. <laughs> enthusiastic, entheos, God-filled. Theos being God, en, filled. Joy, God-filled. I have a joy that doesn't go away. Peace, freedom from worry. Who worries? Why do you worry? Because you lose faith. Because you fail to see God. It's sin. It's sowing to the sinful nature. You keep sowing to worry, you'll lose your joy. You'll damage your faith. Repent of worry and come to God, who's able to save you completely. And, and, and maybe repent of needing to have the reins and knowing it's going to work out fine, because it will work out fine His way, maybe just not your way. Is this cancer going to lead to death? Well, that could worry me. But if I see Him who is eternal... He will raise me up even from the grave. That's when he's going to do it. I can have joy while I'm dying. Peace. Freedom from worry again. Patience. The word is, the word is like long suffering. You can suffer long. Some, have you said this? How long must I put up with him? A little bit more. Long suffering. You can suffer long. Things can go bad and bad and bad, and you just carry on going. I can suffer long, because I'm in Him. (laughs) Kindness. This is being nice. How can I bless people? If you come to church and think, how can I bless people? How can I be nice to them? Goodness, and I'm running now. Again, it speaks of a generosity, a desire to always do the right thing the right way. Faithfulness. You know, our generation, I don't even know what the divorce rate is now, but it speaks of a lack of the Holy Spirit because faithfulness is often revealed in relationships. And when I say, I, I promise to remain faithful to you through thick and thin, life, with, you know, everything, sickness. And then two years later, they're divorced. Lack of faithfulness. Now, there might be very extreme cases where the Lord might allow that, but they are very extreme and they vary the exception. Most of us just have a wide road when it comes to these things. The road is very narrow. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to people. If you get hurt by by someone, quickly, and I'm I'm nearly done. We actually are going to do this in five minutes. Can you still be with them and, and actually just love them? One of the joys somewhere along the way for me is I've, I've got a forgettery. I forget. I really do. Like God says, I'll forget. Uh, I forget as far as the east from the west, so far as I move. If you hurt me today, I'm going to forget that by tomorrow. If I'm in your presence, I'm not going to feel funny about you. I won't allow myself that luxury. I will love you as Christ has loved me. And I want the best for you, even if it's bad for me. Self-gentleness. And this is a, 
meekness is an essential quality of heart whereby a person is willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will and desire of someone else. Being willing, easy to, easy to lead. Elders, what do you guys feel we, we need to go? The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority for they keep watch as men who must give an account for you. You should be Obey them so that their job be a joy, not a burden, for they'd be of no advantage. Are you a joy? Do your leaders think of you and go, oh, what an amazing joy that person is to me? Or do the leaders think of you and think, dear God, <laughs> please give me peace and patience and kindness and love? And that's a good question. I mean, maybe just go and say, am I a joy to you? You should be a joy. It's, why do you want to make their life horrible? <laughs> Easy to lead. Self-control. The ability to steer and control my own passions and responses. Nothing rules me but me. Nothing rules me but me. I have control. You can slap me in the face. And the red wrath that used to be in me is now gone. I was surfing at Jeffrey's Bell. I'll finish with this. I was surfing at Jeffrey's Bay, and long story short, in surfing there's different rules. And if you surf for a long time, you learn the rules, and normally the guy on the inside of the wave, or the last, yeah, long story short, anyway, this guy, this guy tried to steal away from me, but I'm a good enough surfer that I just took it back, it was my wave. <laughs> and he, he, totally, he totally tried to steal my wave. It was at Jeffrey's Bay, which is one of those places where the guys get quite tense, but it was just like, no, bro, you don't, what you did is wrong. So I wasn't cross. I just, no, oh, I, I managed to get around him and I took it. And as I pulled out of the wave, I saw him hitting the water and swearing. And, and I was like, oh, here we go. So I paddled back and he just lost it. I mean, he was like, I'm going to effing kill you. I've got my gun in the car and I'm going to He was going that bad. I was like, that bad. It was really that bad. He was threatening me literally with a gun. And I looked at this guy and he's, he's, he, he comes and he pushes me. And I just started laughing because I'm just like, bro, like seriously? <laughs> and, he's like, and he's like, he's splashing water in my face. And I'm like, seriously, bro, like, you stole my wave? No, no, you stole my wave. That was my wave. No, it wasn't your effing wave. Yet. I was like, no, bro, you stole my wave. And then, and, he, and eventually, I can see he doesn't know what to do with me. He's just like, I don't know what to do with this guy because he's expecting me to, he's doing everything he can to provoke me, but I'm unprovocable. And I'm not scared of him. I'm just unprovocable. I'm not going to get myself. I'm not going there. I'm just, no. And the worst thing was, I really enjoyed the rest of that session, and he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he was fluking and swearing the whole time. Eventually, I started to feel sorry for him. This is love, actually. I started feeling shame, man. I've actually ruined his session. I did. I started, so I was thinking, and then he says at one point in the session, can't you just say sorry? And I'm like, I'm sorry that you feel like it, but... But really, that wasn't my way. But I'm sorry that I've ruined your day. <laughs> F, 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 F. And then finally, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to paddle up to him. And I'm going to just say, okay, I'm sorry. Just for his sake. Because his day is sucking right now. <laughs> and unfortunately, got out the water and walked up the beach in a huff. And I, I never had a chance to do the last. I'm sorry. And I mean, I know I was in the right. But you know what? If it's really going to make your day that freaked out, I just, I'm sorry then. I don't need to be right. I'm sorry. I love you, man. Come on. Self-control against such things, there is no law. So, finished. I did that in five. 
I did leave out about three scriptures. <laughs> so here's the thing. If you sow to the one, you live. If you sow to the one, you die. Are you in step with the Holy Spirit? Are you in communion with him every day? Are you praying in the Spirit? Paul said this, the great apostle. I thank God that I pray in the Spirit more than all of you. Are you hearing his voice? Are you finding the wellspring of the Spirit of God in you, leading you to respond with life? Or has something tripped you up and you're reacting in something in the flesh? It could be your wife, it could be your kids, it could be your job. God uses these things to reveal what's in you so that you can become His image and His likeness. But if you're sowing to the flesh, you're grieving the Spirit. And if you grieve the Spirit long enough, eventually you will put out His fire. But God loves you and wants you to be saved. And says that He's left the Spirit until the very end of the age, that if you will turn back, you can come into the presence of God and find grace in your time of need. And the Father will, in love, clean you again and give you the Spirit again without measure. Because He is love, and He is grace, and He is goodness. But make no mistake, if you sow to the flesh, you will eventually die. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will live. God wants you saved completely. He wants you in His image and in His likeness. And He's using things around you to grow you up. You remain in Him. You keep in step with him, for he is faithful to finish the work that Christ started at the cross, if you'll just yield to him. And so I want to pray with you. So why don't we close our eyes, bow our heads. Thanks, Merv. You know, 